May 21st, 2020. This is Dale Jarvis, and I'm interviewing Renee Fenlayson. Um, Renee, did you want to just maybe give a little bit of introduction of who you are and where you're from? Okay. Well, I'm from um, a, a very small village in Quebec, Revere Beaudet, 50 miles from Montreal. Um, and in uh, I went to McGill, and then when uh, got married, and then uh, right after we came to Newfoundland for a summer in 1970, and moved back here permanent. Well, we didn't know it was permanent, but it turned out to be permanent <laughs> yes. in 1972. Right. Yeah. And and where did you where did you first live when you came to Newfoundland permanently? In Woody Point. In Woody Point. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So tell me what it was like. Uh, why did you decide to move to Woody Point in 1972? We spent the summer there in 1970, and uh, we loved it. It was just beautiful, and in those days. Finding work and, uh, you know, making enough money to live was not difficult. It was pre-1973 oil embargo. And so we thought we had saved up money. Uh, Duncan had a job in um, uh, with the federal government, and we lived outside of Ottawa in a small town called Pakenham. And um, we saved up enough money that we felt we could move to Newfoundland for a year, just just for the experience. And that year uh, stretched into five with, uh, and by this time I had two kids, with Duncan going um, going to the Arctic and ha- getting summer jobs. And um, and then after five years, we really ran out of money, and so uh, we looked for a more permanent situation and moved to St. John's. Right, okay. Now, uh, what is your background as a, as a craft producer? How did you get? involved in that kind of world? Well, it was really fluke. Um, um, I think my very first item was a little hooked floor mat, and it was probably, no, it wasn't a kit. I somehow saw a kit, and I just put stuff together to make a little latched hook floor mat. Very, very simple. And then the summer that we came in 1970, the last stop we made in Montreal was at my sister's. The car was packed. We were ready to leave. And she said, just wait a minute. And she ran back to her apartment and came back with a small box, and it was a little table loom. It cost like four ninety-five or something. And um, she said, take this. You might, uh, you might want to use it when you're in Newfoundland. And lo and behold... <laughs> I got hooked. I um, I unpacked it, and I was able to find a source of wool. And at that same summer, um, Pat McLeod and Gisela Westphalen started Bombay Crafts. And they one of their special items was uh, hand-knit sweaters made out of natural-colored homespun wool. And so here was a source of yarn. And I made, um, I think my first project was woolen placemats, totally uh, uh, not useless, but, um, oh, what's the word, not uh, not not the best material for placemats in terms of washing. 
And uh, I also made a little mini skirt for myself. That was the style in those days. <laughs> right. It was wide enough to make a mini skirt. <laughs> <laughs> how, how how wide is wide enough? I think. Oh, I'm almost embarrassed. Eighteen inches. <laughs> um. And uh, yeah, so I loved it. I just somehow loved the process. And then we went back to. Um, the Ottawa area, and I was looking for other yards. I wanted to get some cotton because cotton was uh, a more appropriate material for a place that. And I w- went into this store on Spark Street Mall and asked about, I can't remember what it was called, uh, but somehow they had weeding supplies, so I asked about cotton, and they said, oh, go up to the third floor. And there they had looms for sale. And without any hesitation, I ordered a loom, a floor loom, 36-inch uh, Leclerc floor loom that's made in Quebec, and uh, came home and told Duncan I just ordered a loom, and and that was it. Then, uh, you know, I every spare minute that I had, I self-taught, basically, I struggled uh, to set up this loom and started weaving. Hmm. So uh, you had bought the loom then in Ottawa and then packed it up and brought it out when you came in 1972? Yep. Yeah. It's traveled with me. I We went back to Toronto for, Duncan did a meteorology course. We went back for nine months. I took the loom with me, brought it back. Yeah. So you you started off with the the table loom doing doing the the placemats like that that kind of size thing. Um, so when you when you shifted over to the larger uh, floor loom, what what were you still kind of making tablecloths that that kind of thing, or did you start to do other other types of work? Um, yeah, I I don't really like sewing. I mean, the other choice is to make fabric and turn it into garments and stuff. And sewing has never appealed to me. So I did things like table mats. And then I got involved in rugs. I made a couple of 36-inch wide, like sort of 3 feet by 5 feet uh, on the loom to kind of shrink up a bit when you uh, take them off the loom, uh, rugs. And I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the weight of it, the heaviness of it. And uh, that became my line, so to speak. And then I graduated. Well, I actually borrowed... Um, bigger looms, heavier looms that were more appropriate for vogue weaving. Um, and in those days, you know, weaving was relatively popular. It was sort of a revival of the crafts from the 60s. And there were a number of looms in people's houses that weren't being used. And I'd meet people and they'd say, gee, I have a loom in the basement. You know, you can borrow it if you want. And, uh, so there were much better looms than I had. And so for a number of years, I was working on borrowed looms, well, two, um, uh, from two different people, mm-hmm. and um, and then I ordered a loom from California. And when, when about with that, when you ordered that? Oh, that would have been 83, 84, and the reason um, I got this loom, it's called an ADL. I think uh, they're the initials of the designer, and it was uh, capable of being linked up to a computer and doing card uh, card weaving. Like you could do much more intricate patterns with it. Mm-hmm. 
And so when I placed the order, I placed it for the whole system. And then I was chatting with a friend who had also done some weaving, but in the meantime, she became a lawyer. And she said, well, what do you like to weave? What do you, you know, what is it that intrigues you? And I said, I just really love the color and color variation. And uh, and then I suddenly realized, I don't want pattern. I just like, what I can do with four harnesses is perfectly adequate for the type of weaving I do. Um, so then I... I, I still placed the order, but I didn't get the computerized mechanism that goes with it. There's one up at the Anna Templeton Center. It's just right. like it. Okay. Um, and I'm really glad I made that decision. And it was, you know, it was a big, wide loom. I could weave 60 inches wide, and uh, it was heavy, and it was made for production weaving, so I could really uh, turn this stuff out. And so at this point, you were in, you were in St. John's. Yeah. Yeah, where were you living at that point? Uh, at that point, we were on 18th Street. Yeah. And so, did you have a did you have a, a space specifically for your for your production? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, when we moved into that house, I used one of the tiny bedrooms upstairs for my production, and there was a basement apartment in the house. And then gradually, we didn't need the money from the tenant from the basement apartment, and so. I think it was 84. No, it was 84. Yeah, we renovated. In 83, I'd say we renovated. So I probably got the loom like 85, 86. Mm -hmm. Um, We renovated it into a studio. So I had, you know, a lot of space. It was great. Right. And a washer-dryer down there, and I dyed my own wool. So there was, you know, countertop and... um, it was really well set up for a weaving studio. Right. And at that point, who who were you weaving for? Uh, basically, I uh, did it all for myself, and I, I went to craft fairs. Okay. And so, um, you know, I, I did the craft. There were two craft fairs in St. John's, I believe, the summer one and the uh, Christmas one. And Donna Clouston was going to Nova Scotia, and I think the 79 might have been the first year I went to Nova Scotia. And so, you know, she would, she kind of mentored me and, and a few other people, and, and so there were a group of us that went uh, and did two craft fairs in Nova Scotia, a spring one and a, a Christmas one. And then um, in Nova Scotia, and maybe... Oh, you're asking me to remember dates that 85, <laughs> I would say. Um, so I did that for a few years. And uh, there was a fellow who uh, came through who organized the big one-of-a-kind. No, I'm wrong. I did the craft fair in Nova Scotia, and then the next step up, people were going to a craft fair in Ottawa. And okay. so... Um, I, and that was at the Civic Center in Auto, Ottawa. It was a big one. And people came from across Canada to that craft fair. And I applied and got accepted. And there at my first craft fair, I believe, a fellow came through from um, Toronto who does the big one-of-a-kind craft fair and looking for new people. And nobody was doing rugs. I mean, that was what made me unique. Um because I specialized in rugs. And uh, so he, uh, he said I should apply to the Toronto Craft Fair. And so then I started doing, the, well, 
I would do Nova Scotia, Ottawa, Toronto, and was a killer. I mean, by the and you know, and you would end like three days, four days before Christmas. Um, but that's basically where I sold my product. Right. So at, at that time, sort of early mid eighties, uh, when you were working in a production capacity, you know, how how many rugs would you produce uh, in a in say a, a year for sale? Well, it seems to me I would ship off 50 rugs to these craft fairs. So over the course of the year, probably 75 or so. Right. I don't think I've ever actually added them up. Um, but it was, you know, I pretty well worked full-time, and certainly to my own schedule. And um, when the kids were young, I could quit like when they came home from school or I was just in the basement. I mean, it was a perfect place to have, you know, be at, it was a perfect situation in terms of being around, but still being able to get down in the basement and do work and, and be there for the kids when they needed me. And as they got older, you know, uh, I would work more, like I didn't have to be around as much so my hours got longer. And then if they were doing something special or, you know, summer vacation or whatever, I could just stop and spend time with the family. Mm-hmm. Where would you get your materials from? Well, um, the big suppliers, so I was working mostly in wool. The big suppliers would be uh, Condens in Prince Edward Island and Briggs and Little in mm-hmm. Brunswick. And then... Um, Again, there were three or four of us who were weaving in St. John's, and Jill Campbell, who was from England and um, moved here in 70, 72, something like that, she uh, started bringing in mohair from um, Bradford in England. And, and uh, yes, yeah, so then I started a sideline of mohair shawls, mohair, um, not shawls, Afghans. And um, and that same company also had something called Berber wool, which is a really nice thick wool in natural colors that is perfect for rugs. So I would order a lot of my, much of my yarn came from uh, England. And okay. again, it was with her help and, you know, getting it through customs and all of that sort of stuff. Um and it was profitable. It was, you know, and really, because I ordered such quantities, it was a good price, and um, it was well worth it. You mentioned that you were doing some of your own dyeing as well. So, what were you, uh, what were you using for dyes? Um, acid dyes. They come in a powder. You mix it. You boil it up. You dip the wool, and then you set it in. Uh, I think it's a vinegar solution, vinegar and water. Um, and I would use basically Briggs and Little wool in their natural colors. And so I'd put like white, light gray, medium gray in the same dye bath. And then I'd get a variegated uh, skein coming out of that same dye bath in, the, in one color. Like it would be a red dye bath and you'd have different shades of red because you put in white and gray wool. Yeah. Follow what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 
And so how long, a, how long a process would that be? If you're doing say 75 uh, a year, like how, how long would it take you to do one? Uh, I'm guessing a few days then to do a, to do a rug. Yeah. Okay. The, the top secret here. Um, so you put five or six rugs on, you put a warp on for five or six rugs on the loom. And it would take me about a week to get through the, those five or six rugs. Um, so, you know, basically I could do like a very simple rug, uh, with heavy yarn that was, you know, maybe a solid stripe. I could do in four hours. Of, right. of the actual sitting down at the loom and weaving it, but there's you have to also include the time that it takes to set up the loom and then to finish it, to knot the fringe, uh, to put your tag on it, all that sort of stuff. And is that is that fairly typical? Like, do you do you think you were uh, that's, fast. Uh, that's a fast? That's fast working? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's you know with lots of experience and with optimum conditions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to go back to something you were saying about uh, the your early in the 70s in in, in Bombay, um, mm-hmm. about the Bombay crafts and the two ladies that were uh, involved with that. Can you tell me about them and, and the, that whole situation? Well, I don't have, you know, have all the details. They were... Um, uh, well, Gisela is alive and well, and she is, oh, I don't know, 88, 89, and Pat is alive in her mid-90s, but she has Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And they were two women who were, I think, a physio and an occupational therapist in St. John's. And they were on, they decided to quit their job in St. John's, and they were going to move to Quebec, to the Gaspé, I believe, or somewhere in Quebec. I'm not sure. Anyhow, they went through Bombay. It happened to be a beautiful, beautiful summer, so this would have been 68 or something. And um, they camped all summer. They could live in their tent. It was grand. And then, sort of like us, at the end of the summer, there was a house for sale. They bought it. They stayed. And they had to make a living, because they would have been in their 40s, I would say when they did this. And um, so they, it seems to me um, one of them continued to be a, a physiotherapist with the Bombay Cottage Hospital. I'm not sure if she did right at that time. But anyhow, they set up Bombay Crafts, which was a little cottage industry. And it was a craft store that was open in the summer. And it was... And Bombay, you had to use no, you didn't have to use, but there was a ferry still going between um, Woody Point and Norris Point, so there was a lot of traffic. And Bond, Woody Point was kind of the highlight of that area at the time. It was before Grossmoor National Park. Um, and so they had a very high-quality craft, high stand, uh, craft store, high standards. And uh, they would source all the fabric and the yarns and whatnot and get the women in the community to knit, knit sweaters and make little kerchiefs and they did some woodworking they had toys and puzzles and all kinds of stuff but you know very um, it wasn't junky at all high standard and uh, Pat in she was the 
occupational therapist, she had taught weaving. And then somehow it all kind of came together. When I came back, I came back with the loom in 1972. And I think it was that winter they had applied for money to what used to be, I don't know, rural development. Uh, you know, some government, uh, provincial government group that did community development work. And they got money for six looms. And um, we had a space. I'm trying to think what the space had been next to the library. Anyhow, there was a space where uh, looms could be set up, and um, and they basically, or Pat did, and Diesel, of course, very quickly learned how to weave. They taught, they gave weaving courses, and just. Or I think the idea was that then people would weave for the shop, but basically people wove for themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of instructors, you know, at various times they had workshops. They brought people in uh, to do workshops, and um, you know, it was great. Mm. And that was your that was your start then with. Um kind of commercially selling your your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I sold a couple of rugs there. And at that time also, what was it called? In the fall, there would be, oh, I'm sh- uh, I just don't remember the name of it. But people could bring in, uh, uh, like, the, their garden produce and stuff, and you would win prizes, you know, for oh, like a, potatoes. Like a fair kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. that sort of thing. And also... Uh, I submitted my rugs. I guess you could bring in handiwork or whatever. And, you know, so, uh, so, and I, I won second prize. I was very thrilled. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Anyhow, yeah, so that was sort of the introduction. So that was probably the first money I made from weaving. Right. Was winning yeah. that prize. And then I, and somebody wanted to buy the rug that I had. And, uh, so then, you know, I sold the odd thing. Yeah, maybe there. And then um, Isabella St. John came out to visit. And was it... I'm not sure if... Oh, no, maybe it was Donna Clouston was working for what the uh, uh, what used to be the Craft Council. It used to be uh, Newfoundland and Labrador Craft Association. And she was on a road trip. She uh, was their administrator and came to visit me. I guess having won this prize or whatever they had heard of me and said, um, I don't remember the details now. Um, anyhow, then I heard about the craft fair in St. John's. And right. I was encouraged to go to that craft fair. And that would have been like 75 maybe. Mm-hmm. And I did a Christmas craft here in St. John's, and, you know, that's, like, really when I sold my first few rugs. Right. Yeah. Um, so when, you, when you came in, I, I, were you involved with the Newfoundland Weavery? Did you sell through uh, them? Yeah. Uh, no, not really. A lot of people, when Gail Robb started that shop, uh, I think she had been weaving, and there was no... She was selling weaving supplies. That's how it got its name. Okay. And she taught weaving. 
Okay. And then there were a whole bunch of people in St. John's. I mean, that's why there were all these looms in St. John's. She taught weaving. Patty Tromley, who was with Munn Extension, was also a weaving teacher. And then Gail's shop turned more into, you know, giftware. And the weaving sort of fell to the wayside. I sold her, you know, later on in the 80s and early 90s, I sold some of my product there, but I wasn't involved in any way. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then do you still have your looms? Do you, do you still have them? No. No? Oh, and so it's funny. I mean, once I decided, uh, what happened is I started to get repetitive motion syndrome in my elbow. I had a flying shuttle, and that's a harsh movement. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a jerky movement on your, uh, well, especially with my right arm. I use that mainly. And uh, so I, I, I would have a lot of, it's like tennis elbow. And uh, we went sailing in 94. We were gone for two years, and I knew that that was it. I wasn't going to have my studio anymore. So I told, sold my loom, my big loom to Judy Leon. I guess my small loom also had been sold, you know, years previously. So I didn't have any and I was fine with that. And, uh, then I don't know, about eight, ten years ago or so, I decided I wanted to re, uh, re-weave a couple of rugs and, um, I borrowed a loom from Jean 80 here on Random Island. And then eventually bought it from her, but it's just sitting folded up. I haven't used it very much at all. Mm-hmm. We all worked pretty individually. Like, there were a little group of us, and we were, I found, very supportive. And it was interesting because I'd meet other weavers when, or, you know, other craftspeople when I went to these craft fairs. And um, I didn't get the sense that they had, well, no, that's not totally true. But, you know, like, Jill sourced a really good yarn, and she wasn't afraid to share what her source was, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, People were very generous and very helpful, and that certainly pushed me along. And I always felt that uh, I would have never, and had we stayed in the Ottawa area, I would have just been a hobby weaver. It never would have become a a profession for me. I wouldn't have had the, the encouragement and the support. I mean, on the other thing is, the same Department of Rural Development, they paid 50% of our costs to go away to do a craft fair. And that was huge. That was an incredible um, benefit. So it wasn't such a risk to go right. and, and do a craft fair and, you know, not... We, we always made money in the end, even after expenses, because yeah. of their support. Right. And that was actually... Joint. I think it was also money from the federal government. It seems to me. Uh, you, you would have to check on that. Um, there, there seems to be a bit of a resurgence of interest in weaving. There are all these young, younger yeah. weavers now in the province. Uh, would you? What advice would you give the young people? <laughs> Is there anything you would tell them? Oh boy. I don't know. You know. I mean, I look. It's a lot of hard work. You do it because you love it. Yeah. Uh, and I think the situation changed, has changed dramatically. It's, um, the competition, you know, there's so much more out there for people to spend their money on. And the, I was on the tail end of people loving handmade craft items. Uh, I don't think, you know, now we're into tech and whatnot. 
um, it, it's it's a hard. I mean, selling art or you know selling craft is always hard. But yes. you know you, you do it because you love it. Yeah. Yeah. No advice. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I would imagine that the weaving is very much a solitary kind of art. Yeah. It's not like knitting where you can get together and do it exactly. and chat at the same time. You're you're off in your own little studio. Yeah. 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 Very much so. And that's why, you know, in a way, craft fairs were so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Do you miss that? Do you miss that aspect of it? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't miss it. You know what happened? It, it became hard work and yes. less fun, you know, that yep. balance changed, yep. and um, yeah, the camaraderie was great, I loved that, but I don't miss, oh, the setting up, the work of it, the sitting around, the boredom, you know, there's lots of <laughs> negative I can conjure up and, and uh, don't miss it at all. Now you can just go to the craft fair and... Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, for a long time I didn't even go, you know, I just I was saturated, it was like, I'm finished with that world. Yeah. It was, for me, it was very cut and dry. Once I I knew I wasn't going to weave anymore, I got rid of everything. And, right. Yeah. Uh, Without any qualms. And you, but then you ended up at the craft fair last year helping out your, was it your cousin, your niece, your niece. Purely because it was her. Yeah. She was there and, um, you know, it also came back to me. But uh, yeah, that's the only time, you know, I've never spent so much time at a craft fair in the last <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Thanks Neil. for this. All right. Well, take care and we'll, oh, and I'll talk to you sure. soon, I hope. You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>